As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard The Athletic's Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Tuesday, October 6th, no game to talk about because the Jets, of course, played last Thursday. So it is a can't wait mailbag edition of the podcast. Welcome in to McMaster here along with Connor Hughes and our producer, Marissa Morris. Subscribe if you haven't already to the podcast. Give us a five-star review on Apple if you could do that as well. Uh, We are taking your questions. Um, You may have gotten them in already to Connor on Twitter if you haven't do it there or just throw it in the chat here if you're listening to us live or watching on YouTube. Um, So we'll get to a lot of questions, Connor. Um, But a couple of topics I think to touch on before we get to that. One is Adam Gase is still the head coach of the New York Jets, but Bill O'Brien, not the head coach of the Houston Texans, a guy who won four division titles in Houston. He won 52 games there, took that team to the playoffs numerous times. He gets fired after four games despite that track record, and Adam Gase is still going. Were you surprised? Because this one seemed to, while I think Bill O'Brien had was kind of on his way out by the end of the season, the timing of this kind of sent shockwaves through the league. Yeah, you know, I think what's the Bill O'Brien whole thing is is fascinating to me because I I genuinely believe the guy's a decent head coach. Like I I don't think he's one of the worst head coaches in the NFL. I don't think that he's um, in the same realm as some of these head coaches that have gotten jobs and failed. I don't think he's he's in the realm of the guys that have that have managed to to kind of hang on with teams despite losing records. I mean, I I think Bill's a, a good offensive mind. I think that Bill O'Brien. Um, does a pretty good job of, of designing offenses. I think he's a pretty good all-around head coach where he can um, call the plays and, and build an offense and develop a quarterback, but also have his finger on the defense as well. So he kind of manages everything with his focus, obviously being on on the offense. But I think what where the Texans made their biggest mistake with Bill O'Brien, and I should say when Bill O'Brien was was in his best and, and having his best days in Houston, it was it seemed like it was when he was just that. He was just that team's head coach. And then... Over the last couple of years, for whatever reason, they decided to give him such power within that organization. They essentially made him their general manager and their head coach. And it's so challenging for a head coach to be the GM, too, unless you're Bill Belichick. And I think one of the reasons why it fails so often is that you need to have both that win-now mentality, like have yourselves focused in on winning now, but also 
the the sight to see you know beyond just this year and you know establish a winner now but also make sure that you're you're a contender every single year not just one year in and for a coach that has like immense immense job security like Bill Belichick that's fine because he knows he can lose two or have two or three losing seasons and he's not going to be fired for a guy like Bill O'Brien who is not in that same realm I think it's it's tough so I think you know you look at what he did with with some of the quarterbacks he had to work with. I mean, didn't he have it was a Keenum what was his quarterback one year that was playing playoff games? Fitzpatrick went to the playoffs with him. I mean, he had Ryan Mallett was a guy that he was working with for a while. So like that Texans team, I mean, they did not have a quarterback until Watson. Like they did not. They tried the Brock Wasweiler experiment that blew up in their face. I mean, they did not have a quarterback until Deshaun Watson. Yet they were still competing in a very good AFC South that had, you know, the the Jaguars, which were always kind of, they weren't good, but the Jaguars were always kind of competing a little bit. Obviously, the Colts were really, really good with Andrew Luck. And then you had the Titans who would have like a year where they look good and then they come back down. And, and the Texans were always right there in the mix. And I think Bill O'Brien was a big reason for that. So the Texans' biggest mistake there, I think, was just handing them all that personnel control. If they didn't do that and, and they were able to kind of bring that back a little bit and just have him be the head coach and hire a real GM and have the GM be the final say. Uh, I, I think that would, that would have, that would have gone a, um, a long way. And obviously actually you know, kind of crazy little tidbit is, is Joe Douglas was like in the running to be the Texans general manager. And one of the reasons he decided to stay with the Philadelphia Eagles was because he wasn't, he was going to be, yes, the title general manager, but he was going to have a backseat to Bill O'Brien. Like Joe was going to be there. Joe was basically going to be, doing all the college like work and doing all the scouting and building the draft board. But then it was going to be at the end of the day, Bill O'Brien, who was calling the final shots. And, and Douglas was like, I've got a pretty good job here in Philly. I, I know I'm going to have an opportunity to be a GM someday. And and this isn't the opportunity I want to go in. So he sat and then he waited for the Jets opportunity, which came up and, and gave him full control. I guess Bill O'Brien, you could consider him of the, um, of the Belichick coaching tree, which is, mostly failures across the NFL. Bill O'Brien's probably the biggest success story, right? And Romeo Cornell, another guy from Belichick's tree, will take over now. He was the defensive coordinator. But, yeah, it is it's it is a fascinating thing that as good as Belichick is, um, the guys that, that leave and, and leave from underneath him um, don't necessarily go on to success. But, but O'Brien did, and I'm sure Bill O'Brien is going to get another job before too long where he will, be, again, be the head coach. And not the general manager of an yeah, NFL I would just, team. Him, I'd even take a year off. Like if, yeah. if I was him, like, like you know, I we'll think have the rest the, of this year at least to recharge the batteries a bit. Yeah, and what what people don't realize is usually you don't. And what I think Adam Gase made the mistake of doing is like very rarely do you get a third head coaching job if you fail at stop one and you fail at stop two. Like if you have success in your second stop, that erases failures in the first. But but you need to have like you don't usually get three opportunities. You don't get three swings. It's two strikes and you're out. Very very rarely do you get three swings and. And I thought Adam Gase would have benefited. And a lot of the people I talked to thought Adam Gase would have benefited from that Dolphin gig ending, taking a year off, watching a lot of football, seeing a lot of football, going and spending time with other really successful training camps where your friends are there. You know, go spend a camp with Kyle Shanahan. Go spend a camp with, with Josh McDaniels you know, or a couple of weeks with those guys. See what they're doing. Kind of evolve as a play caller. Evolve your offense. See what they're doing, which is new and unique, and add it to your scheme and evolve your scheme and make your scheme fresh. Uh, and then make another run at a head coaching job. But, I mean, basically what Gase is doing is he's running the same scheme that he ran since 2015, which, you know, teams have the book on and they're stopping him. So I thought he would have benefited from taking a year off. And Bill O'Brien, I think, is probably more um, susceptible to, to being successful in a second stop right away. I think that if he was put into a good team in a good situation, that team would would be in the playoffs. Um, but, but you can't – I mean, look, he's got enough – 
of a tree. He's got enough of friends in the league where when he wants another job, he'll be in consideration, no doubt. And it's just a matter of, I think, just take a year off, man. Take a year off, spend some time with the family, uh, uh, extend your ideas a little bit, and then and then make a run. Makes a lot of sense. All right, before we get to the mailbag, one other thing. Injury updates. Bell possibly back, but the big question everybody's wondering about is Sam Darnold, obviously, Connor. Um, he spoke, said he was feeling pretty good on Monday, said he had no regrets about playing through the injury on Thursday night. Um, I guess the question is going to come down to tomorrow's the big day, right? Can he get on the practice field on Wednesday if there's a hope of him playing uh, come Sunday or at least Thursday to get ready for Sunday. But he may not have any regrets about playing on Thursday. But I wonder if the training staff, if this team, if if in that front office there are some doubts if that was the best thing to do with Sam Darnold. No, I, I don't think it was an issue because it wasn't a um, it wasn't a uh, first risk further injury issue. It was a pain tolerance issue. And if and if Sam's adrenaline and and they could have done something back in that locker room that made him able to play. I think he'll be like there was no issue with him coming back out there it was just again it was it was a pain tolerance thing it was can Sam handle the pain and if Sam can handle the pain then Sam will be fine. Now as far as him playing on Sunday I think that it's going to come down very heavily to Wednesday. It's going to come down very heavily to Thursday and if he can practice fully one of those two days I think you'll see him go on Sunday but I mean this is an AC joint sprain and and it's an AC joint sprain that usually sidelines guys two or three weeks and and for Sam I know he's got like the extra days a 10 day break but for him to have to sit, I mean, it would, that's kind of what I think maybe he'll have to do. And it might just not be this week, but the week after that as well. I mean, it's like I said, this is usually a two or three week injury. And Sam's trying to basically come back in, in one week. Now, if he's able to play, I think that he'll be out there. If he's able to play and be successful, I think he will be out there. If there's no risk of further injury and this is just a pain tolerance thing, I think he'll be out there as long as he can, he can tolerate the pain. Now, the bigger concern with this, I think, is that this is now another year in a row where Sam is dealing with some form of an injury. And and he said it when we talked to him via Zoom the other day, you know, as a quarterback, your your best your best ability is reliability. And and it's basically you need to have guys out on the field. You need to be starting every single game. It's what made Eli Manning stretch with the Giants and Peyton Manning stretch before that neck injury in Indianapolis, which was kind of fluky. It's what made those guys so freaky and Tom Brady to this point this year aside from that the knee injury suffered against the Chiefs which makes those guys kind of their careers even more extraordinary than what they are is that they're always on the field they are always playing and for Sam his first year he gets the foot ankle issue which sidelines him for three games last year the mono is a total fluke like you can't you can't say anything about the mono to to Sam I mean that's just well maybe I guess he did make one mistake in getting mono but I mean it's like it's not Something it's so rare that you can't really chalk that up to anything. But later in the year, he did suffer a thumb injury that required offseason surgery and made it so that he couldn't hand off with his left hand and had to wear a brap and, and basically cut off that side of the field on running plays. Or he had to hand off with two hands so the Jets could run play action. So that's a thumb injury. Now this year, he's got the AC joint sprain. I mean, this is now potentially three years in a row where Sam has had some form of an injury that has taken him off the field or allowed him to play but not been anywhere near 100%. And... I mean, you can, that's not a, a, a knock on Sam. I mean, because you can blame the offensive line and, and the poor build of the offensive line for Sam taking extra hits. But it does warrant a little bit of like the asterisk that some players just get banged up. Some players get hurt. Some players are more injury prone than others. And and these injuries that Sam's taking are like, man, another one. Again, the Jets are going to have to go to their backup. Again, they're going to have to someone else play. And, and 
it's a concern. It's 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 a concern because, like I said, this is the third year in a row that Darnold is now dealing with injuries. And I don't know if he's going to play. This could be a moot point. If, if he practices tomorrow and, and feels fine and then he's ready to go and goes into Thursday and he's a little sore but not too bad and they're able to loosen him up, get him going, and then he's able to go again on Thursday and then he plays on Sunday, they're going to trot him out there. But the fact that now he's got an AC joint sprain after the thumb issue that required offseason surgery, after the foot injury that he had his rookie year, it's like, what's going on here? And And – Part of it, like I said, is on the Jets because they haven't built that wall in front of Darnold. But part of it also, again, is that little asterisk of, is he also injury is he injury prone? Is this something we're going to have to deal with every single year? And you have quarterbacks that are very good that get hurt a lot, right? I mean, you've got Carson Wentz down in Philadelphia. Every year seems to be something minor with him or something else with him where it's like, oh, now he's got this. Oh, now he's got that. Oh, now he's got this. And you're figuring out why. I don't know. I mean, with like we've, we've talked about this, uh, Tim. It's, it's the way that this season is going. The Jets look very much like they're going to be in the running for the number one or number two pick in the NFL draft. And if they're in the running for the number one or number two pick in the draft, Trevor Lawrence is potentially going to be there with the number one or number two pick in the NFL draft. You're going to have to make a decision on do you give up on Sam or do you keep with Sam or do you like draft Trevor Lawrence and make him your quarterback? And now adding to the abundance of things that you need to consider of with Sam Darnold's struggles, right? Is he struggling because of the coaching? Is he struggling because of the receivers? Is he struggling because of the offensive line? Is he struggling because of of uh, Sam Darnold himself, that he's just not that next-level quarterback? And taking into consideration all of those things, now you also have the injury asterisk to throw in there of, is Sam getting hurt because we haven't done a good job protecting him? Is Sam getting hurt because this is something that he's just going to have to deal with every single year? So now you might have to make a decision on this franchise quarterback later on saying, do we want Trevor Lawrence? Do we want to stick with Sam Darnold? You might have to make this decision on keeping Sam Darnold, despite the fact he would be going into year four of his NFL career without ever playing a full 16-game season. Like, that's the other part of this whole thing. So it's this this injury clouds a lot. It makes a lot of things harder to break down. And I do not envy, aside from his paycheck, I do not envy <laughs> Joe Douglas and the, and the decisions that he's going to have to make after this offseason because – the 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 Sam Darnold predicament, the the Trevor Lawrence predicament, it's it makes things just, it's it's uh it's going to be a headache, man. It's going to be a headache. Yeah, it certainly is, and that is a good uh, segue into the mailbag question. So we'll take questions the rest of the way here, and we have a good one that that works into Darnold possibly missing the next couple of weeks. This one from Tom Delamargio. If Darnold is forced to miss a game or two. Should the Jets play James Morgan over Flacco? This team's going nowhere. Flacco clearly part not part of the long-term plans. Morgan might be. We've talked about this before, Connor, the fact that while they do have long-term plans for Morgan, it's probably not ready right now to be an NFL starter. Uh, yeah, you uh, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, they, look, the Jets love James Morgan as their backup. They, they did not draft James Morgan to be their – they did not draft James Morgan to be their their starter. They did not draft James Morgan to push Sam Darnold. They drafted James Morgan because they thought this is a guy that we can develop into a, a decent quarterback that if he's forced to play, he can. But the guy is a football nut. He's a football nerd. He's a football freak. He loves the X's and O's and the game planning and the practicing and the preparation as Make much as he Make him the offensive wants. coordinator. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, <laughs> not, not the worst idea. <laughs> um, like you, like that's what James Morgan loves. So when the Jets drafted James Morgan, what they saw was, okay, we're going to get a guy that we're going to have in our system for the next five years or four years. I'm sorry. We're going to have him in our system for the next four years. He's a guy that if he's forced to play, 
we believe we can develop into a guy that, that can play some pretty good football. But more importantly, week in and week out, he is going to be as prepared as Sam Darnold. He's going to make Sam Darnold more prepared because of the way that he does. I mean, this was a guy, I'm not kidding you, I wrote a feature on James Morgan this offseason. He used to get in trouble and sent to the principal's office in high school because he would be in class watching huddle film of his high school opponents. Like, <laughs> that's what he used to get in trouble with. Like, he, like and, and the teachers would go to his his high school head coach and be like, James is watching high school film in, in class again. And his high school coach would look at him and be like, well, what's James's grade in that class? And they'd be like, he's got an A, but that's not the point. He's watching huddle film and he's watching highlights. And his coach would be like, well, why the hell do you care? Like, the kid's got an A. Just let him watch his film. He's, he's benefiting both of us. You got you get an A-plus student, and I get a quarterback that's literally spending his extra time watching film. Like, that's what he used to do. He used to go uh, in, in college. James Morgan would go, and he would watch um, – he would watch uh, NFL highlights. Like he would, he would go through and watch all these NFL highlights on Sundays. He would write them down in like a notepad. Like he would draw up his own cards for like those practices. He would go to the coach, his coaching staff at, at FIU, and be like, "Guys, I saw the the Giants or the Jets or the the Patriots or this or the Saints. I saw these guys run this particular play against this defense, and it worked really well." Can I run it at practice today? And they used to have these spring workouts. At, you think at he was Florida. really writing down the Jets plays? <laughs> I was going to say the same. <laughs> like, I mean, this would have been like Jeremy Bates plays. So, well, I mean, that's, you can say what you will about that. Um, probably not. I was just throwing that one in there as a, as a, as a nice little, uh, yeah, probably not. Um, but he uh, he used to like write these down. What Florida used to do, or Florida Atlantic used to do, is they had this. Um, or if I, you, I'm sorry, was uh, they used to have like these practices where just the players would go during spring ball. Like there would be no coaches on the field and James would run the practice and he would practice these plays that he drew up that you saw on Sunday. And then he would take it to the coach the next day and be like, coach, this really worked really, really well in practice. Can we put it in the playbook? And they would put it in the playbook and they'd give it their own name that fit their terminology and they'd go. So that's what the Jets saw that they were getting in within their team and within their scheme. And they were like, this is going to help Sam Darnold develop so much this is going to help sam be the guy like this is going to help him so much because aside from the coaching he now has another coach in there with him a guy who's going to break down the film and see things and james might see something in film that sam doesn't see and then james can point it out to sam and then suddenly sam knows it as well so that's why the jets drafted him they didn't draft him to play and i know the whole like yeah you know what you have in joe flacco you know this you know that yada yada but Morgan in year one is not ready to play. This is a, a fourth round rookie quarterback that was a developmental player, a guy that had no OTAs, a guy who had no mini camp, a guy who had no preseason. He is not ready to go out there. With Joe Flacco, he's not the best. He's not brilliant. He's not anything like that. But you know what you're going to get with him, and he can go in there and he can he can keep the ship steadied enough, or at least not make the Jets' offense any worse than what they've been because he knows the playbook. He can go in. He's not going to make too too many mistakes. And uh, he'll he'll be a better option than what Morgan. And I know, oh, you want to see the rookie? You want to see the rookie? Maybe the Jets have something in them. This ain't the time to do that. Like, Morgan's not ready. All right. So there's a few questions from – these are from Charles and Danny um, about Joe Douglas's free agent signing. So I'll read Danny's question. Is Joe Douglas terrible free agent signing concerning going forward in terms of rebuilding the roster? Connor is the, only the best writer worth following. So that was a nice oh, little. See, so you know you're going to get your question read if you can yeah. to Connor. Yeah, no, but I've Charles's been, I, question I, was very similar about should why should we have an ounce of faith in Joe Douglas after this offseason and his free yeah. signings this year? I always hate like this point of the year when the Jets get eliminated and you start criticizing the team because they suck, and then 
you're you're literally it's why last year i turned off my mentions like i literally deleted my mentions on my tweet deck and i literally deleted like i don't even look at them anymore very rarely because they're just vicious and vile and just like people are so angry and like i received i I received credit for ruining the jets last like two days ago like it's me my writing is the reason you ruined the poor guy that brought it up yeah, yeah, no, uh, that was great, not that guy. Actually. Oh, not that guy. Oh. Okay. Not that was another guy that I went in there and like, like I don't get great. like these people. They they say I don't rip gays. Like these people say yeah. like I'm I'm in bed with the guy and like I never criticize him. And I'm like, did you, you listen never, to like, any of these? Do you podcasts? listen to any? Like I was red in the face two weeks ago, screaming about how this guy's this guy's been awful. And, and like on Twitter, like I'm vicious on Twitter. Like I'm just as vicious as they are on Twitter. And then like I'm like, and I, I wrote an entire column two weeks ago about how unimaginative and uncreative and dismal this offense is. And I'm like, and you guys say I don't criticize. I was like, you must cherry pick that. Like you go on my Twitter yesterday and you see that I'm criticizing Sam Darnold. And it's like, Oh, because he's criticizing Sam Darnold at 10 35 in the morning on a Tuesday, he must never have said anything about the coach. And then it's just like, <laughs> you're in bed with Gates. Why don't you ever this? Why? I'm like, man, like and I usually let it go and like, let it brush by. But that kid, I don't even know who he is. Like normally I see guys that like, there's this, uh, Karen is is one cliche, but she's always on my ass on Twitter, like always on my ass about you don't criticize this enough, you don't criticize. It's just it's so annoying. But she's there and she's been following me since like I was at about.com, so it's like I respect it. This kid comes out of nowhere and basically like just rips me. I'm like, you know what? Screw you. And then I look at him and I see his. I'm not even gonna go into what his profile picture looked like, but I was like, yeah, let's get back to Charles and Danny's questions about the free. <laughs> yeah, but like this is just, this is why like I just turn off my mentions and and don't look at Twitter because honestly, it's like it's it's vile right now is just because the team gets bad. People want to know why they're bad and they blame reporters and they blame me because I have much of a say. Now, what I will say is that I don't honestly hate what Joe Douglas has done to this point. Like the Jets offensive line, those first two weeks when the Jets offensive line was together, I did not hate them. Now, Greg Van Roten, is that a player who's been as advertised? Well, he came in as a guy that was a veteran that you thought was a serviceable starter, and he hasn't been very good. Has he been better than what Brian Winters has been up in Buffalo? I actually have to look at the PFF grades, but the Jets might have made a mistake going with uh, Van Roten over Winters, but they felt like Van Roten was a better fit for their scheme because he's more athletic and stuff like that. Uh, George Font, I think, has been, while he's been healthy, he's been generally fine on the right side. Makai Becton's been very good on the left side. Alex Lewis has been one of the Jets' better graded offensive linemen at left guard. He was a signing and a priority re-signed by, by Joe Douglas. So that offensive line is where Douglas put the majority of his focus on, was that he wanted to make that better, was left tackle Makai Becton, Alex Lewis, Connor McGovern, who I think has been okay, Van Roten, and then um, Font. Now, with those guys, the one thing to remember is aside from Beckton and McGovern, everyone else is can be gone after this year. So when Tooney, he was the guy, Joe Tooney was the guy that Joe Douglas was willing to break the bank for. Like that was somebody that if he was in free agency, the Jets were going to give him whatever he wanted to come play for the Jets. And then obviously the Patriots realized this. They realized that Joe Tooney was either going to go to the Jets or the Miami Dolphins, whoever was going to pay him more. And they said, okay, well, we don't want to make our division better. So we're just going to slap him with a franchise tag. And that way we keep our player and whatever. So that was the one player they didn't break the bank for. Everyone else has kind of been like, I, don't, I haven't heard well, anything from Graham Galasco. Yeah, that that's who that's who uh, Charles had discussed. Like, why didn't he yeah. go out and get him? He just didn't think it was worth the money. Right. He didn't think that that he was worth that money that he was going to command as the top offensive lineman on the market. And also, from what I understand, there were some reservations from Graham Glasgow about coming to New York. And a lot of that actually had to do with taxes, is that he mm. thought he saw other opportunities for him to go elsewhere and make the same amount of money like bottom line or same amount of money on the contract, but he'll actually get more overall because of state taxes and stuff like that. So 
that was a lot of what was going into that was that Grand Glasgow wasn't really ever an option for the Jets, not because the Jets didn't want him, just because they would have had to so overpay for him to make up for those taxes. But I don't hate what Joe Douglas did on the offensive line. A lot of the struggles that the Jets had in pass protection last week were Kalen Ballage missing two, tack- two tackles. That was not – or two, allowing two sacks. That wasn't ideal. Uh, and then you had Connor McDermott starting on the left side of the line for the most time, and, and Font got hurt. So it's like I don't mind that. Now, where he screwed up a little bit was – you can make the argument receiver, right? Like you can say the one area where, where Joe Douglas didn't do enough was receiver and cornerback. He believed in Pierre Desir, and and I believed in Pierre Desir because the last two years, Pierre Desir has been a pretty good player aside from that hamstring injury. You can't, I don't think anyone foresaw him struggling as much as he did. And and you can make the argument of, of pass rusher. I, I personally, I've said this before. I would have gone out and signed Dante Fowler. Like that's the player that I thought the Jets should have gone out and gotten. I thought he'd be a pretty good player. Now he's obviously not doing too much with the Falcons right now receiver is the one that obviously everyone wants to hang their hat on that you know joe douglas's free agent signings didn't do enough at receiver joe douglas's signing didn't do enough at free receiver yada 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 he did at receiver what he wanted to do and and in that is i don't think we can destroy what joe douglas has done at receiver yet because denzel mims is hurt and he's dealing with a hamstring injury if he comes back and finishes the last 12 games of the season with 700 800 receiving yards and six touchdowns well suddenly that pick looks a lot better than what it does right now the guy literally has not played should he have done more at receiver as far as drafting another receiver instead of going with Ashton Davis or drafting another receiver instead of going with Braden Mann or drafting another receiver instead of going with James Morgan? Yeah, you can you can make that call. That is a criticism of him. Was there more to do in free agency aside from Rashad Perryman? No, I don't think so because Emmanuel Sanders wanted to play for a contender. That's why he went for the Saints. I've said this before. Amari Cooper was never leaving the Cowboys. So the only the next best option for Douglas was either to bring back Robbie Anderson or to sign Rashad Perryman. This was, in hindsight, a mistake, not letting Robbie Anderson go or letting Robbie Anderson go. I didn't understand it at the time. I didn't get why it was done. I would have brought back Robbie Anderson, especially on the contract that he signed with the Panthers. The Jets did not because they didn't believe he was worth the money. They didn't believe he was a true number one receiver. They didn't like the uh, the crowd that he ran with in Florida. And there were some slight concerns that, that if he got paid, he could potentially get in trouble again. And they thought they didn't like the fact that if he's not the primary route or primary option on a route his effort tends to drop. So if like for all these reasons, the Jets were like, we don't think he's worth $20 million. That evaluation was clearly off because he's in Carolina right now balling out. I mean, he's been close <laughs> to 100 yards every single game. He's on pace for like 1,200 yards this season, like, and he's playing with noodle arm Teddy Bridgewater, so that erases the Robbie Anderson's only a deep threat notion. So I think that you're, that was the mistake, was letting Robbie go. But a lot of the other things he did, I mean, I don't think you can say he's been terrible this offseason. Like, I, don't, I really generally don't believe you can say he's been terrible, especially because the draft... P. Ryan looks good. Becton looks like a stud. You don't know yet what you have in Ashton Davis because he's been hurt. You don't know what Denzel Mims because he's been hurt. Braden Mann is obviously a punter. And then James Morgan was drafted to be the, the guy. And Bryce Hall is still dealing with the injury that he suffered in college. So you can't rip those other picks because you haven't seen them on the field yet. And for free agency, the line was fine. This was, this was, this was meant to be – the offensive line this year was meant to be the – we're fixing the line at the moment – and then we're not going to, it's not going to be a wholesale fix, but it's just going to be enough to get us through like basically this season. Like it's going to be enough to get us through the season with an improvement. And we're going to keep working on it and keep plugging until we've got the Cowboys line that they have or the Patriots line or something like that. This was year one and year one is better than what the Jets had last year. And next year, Greg Van Roten's probably gone next year. Font to be determined if he's gone next year. The Jets are going to have two first round picks. They might draft another offensive lineman to plug in there as a starter. So you got to. I don't know. I think that the the criticism on Douglas is a little early, aside from the Robbie Anderson move. And the Jets had their reasons. That's what they did. Was it the wrong one? It looks like it right now. But 
GMs make wrong calls, and, and that looks like one of them. I think that if you have a team that's a playoff caliber team looking to get over the hump and, and get to a Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl, you can judge a general manager on a single offseason because he had that offseason to make that difference to get that team to the top. But this is a multi-year rebuild where the, the view has to be not on this year, but on a few years down the road. And that's why you have to just wait on Joe Douglas and see what the overall plan is. You can't you can't judge him on that one year for sure. It's it's this year with next year on top of it and the year after that on top of it. And then you see what he has slowly built over time. Um, yeah, and, and we said this, Tim. Like, look, Mike McCagnin, excuse me, Mike McCagnin drafted like Brandon Shell and who was that guard his first year? Like the the guy who he didn't even make it out of his second training camp. I forget his last name. Harrison, I think it was, or something like that. Those are like the only offensive linemen until Chuma that Mike McCagnin drafted in four years. And the Jets had a, had an aging offensive line when he took over. When McCagnin took over, you had Brick, Nick Mangold, and Willie Colon as three of your five starters. And Breno Giacomini was the right tackle. And I think Brian Winters was your left guard. Brian Winters was the only player that you could conceivably see playing within the next three years. And sure enough, Brick retires. Mangled retires. Breno wasn't any good. And you had nobody to replace them, both because of the Idzik drafts and then McCagnin's drafts. McCagnin didn't draft. He kept drafting defensive linemen. Like, he didn't draft. He didn't draft in safeties. He didn't take the linemen. He didn't take the quarterback. So it's like he made his mistakes. And now Joe Douglas is trying to trying to make it better. And there was no – this was not a, an offseason where – you could go in and say, like, we can completely fix the offensive line. No, you wanted to make the offensive line better. You wanted to improve it. And then you wanted to keep making this a year-by-year thing where you eventually get to the point where it's filled up. It was never going to be a one-year fix. You just wanted to have something serviceable. The first two weeks of the season, the first three weeks of the season before guys started getting hurt, the Jets' offensive line was serviceable. You had a guy who looked like a franchise left tackle. Font was holding his own on the right side. Alex Lewis looked very good at left guard. Connor McGovern was eh, and Greg Van Roten was eh, but both of those guys were not among were not the worst playing people in the league. The Jets were able to establish a little bit of a run, and they were able to keep Sam Darnold upright for the most part, and there were plenty of times when he had a really nice pocket. They were better pass protecting the run blocking, but he had a pocket. Then guys started dropping. So the main priority this offseason was offensive line. I thought the offensive line was better. It just was never going to be elite year one because now next this coming year, who's ever in free agency, it would not surprise me to see Joe Douglas make another run there. He's going to draft another lineman too, maybe first or second round. Like he's going to keep at this thing. And in two years, three years is when you'll see the true Jets offensive line in Joe Douglas's vision. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, back to the mailbag we go, and we talked about the offensive line and how it's banged up. Um, Mike Nelson, Connor, just wants to know, 
why did they play Becton the other night when he was clearly hurt? And this is kind of like Darnold, I think, where it's it's not something that could get worse, right? He's he's got to play through the pain. He tried, it didn't work out. Yeah, it's that's that's pretty much it, man. Is like, and I don't I don't agree with it. I I thought yeah, that, like why take that risk? Why like, bother? Right. Yeah. Now sure. what? Correct. Your your guys are right. I mean now. Uh, this is where, like, again, because I don't want to say something and then immediately get, you know, blown up on Twitter. Like, oh, you're defending blah, blah, blah. You're defending blah, blah, blah. This is my opinion. Hmm. Like, he should not have played. If he's not healthy enough to start, if he's not healthy enough to go from week from the first snap all the way to the last snap, the guy should not be active. He shouldn't be no freaking emergency bullshit. Like, it should just sit the guy on the sideline, let him rest, give him another extra 10 days, then see how he feels like this Wednesday and Thursday and see if he can't go. That is my opinion. That's what I would have done. The Jets' opinion, not my opinion, not one I agree with, but the Jets' opinion on this was that it was an injury that cannot get worse. So nothing that could have happened on Sunday, on Thursday, I'm sorry, was going to make that injury worse. It was not going to make it ten times worse. It wasn't going to make sideline him another two months. It wasn't anything. He the injury that he had, the injury he has at that point in time was the injury it was gonna, he was going to have. It was not. It wasn't like the risk of. And you have a tweaked hamstring and you go out there and you run the risk of tweaking it worse and tearing it off the bone. And then suddenly, you know, you're sidelined months and months. That that wasn't the case. It was just going to be a pain management thing. So if Becton could manage the pain and some players are absolute freaks with pain management and are able to do that, then Becton could play that game. So that's why he was their emergency tackle. When Chuma went down that early, something the Jets obviously didn't expect was when the Jets didn't even, from what Gase said in, in the conference call, was that it wasn't even like a, okay, put Becton in there. Becton just ran on the field. Like, Becton just, okay, I'm up. I'm in there. And he ran in. And if you watch him, like, because I, I was in the press box, so you can see him. Like, he was fired up as soon as he got on the field. You know, he's, like, pounding his chest. He's, like, you can tell. He's, like, I want to play. I'm in there. Obviously, the pain was too much for him, and that's why he eventually took himself out. But, again, my opinion he shouldn't have been out there. Like, just if he can't start, don't play him. Like, if he can't start, he can't play. That's my opinion on starters. Like, that's if you can do some things with guys like receivers maybe a little bit and running backs where you can, like, limit their reps or ease them back in like the the um the 49ers did with Debo Samuel. Where, like, he's healthy now, but you're easing him in there. You're not going to – he's coming off that foot injury. You're not going to give him a 70-snap workload. You're going to give him some plays. You're going to give him some catches, give him some runs, like start to work himself in there. You can do that with receivers. You can do that with tight ends. You can do that with running backs. You can't do it with an offensive lineman that is either starting or he's not starting. You know, he's, he's – or maybe I guess you could conceivably be a, your sixth offensive lineman a goal line. But, like, it's just not worth it. So, in my opinion, he shouldn't have been out there. In the Jets' opinion, if he could tolerate the pain, he could be out there. And And – in that situation, in my opinion, even if that's the prognosis from the doctor, as a coach, as a GM, as a training staff, you need to, um, you need to, you need to be able to, you need to save the player from himself, and you need to just keep him on the sideline and say, like, look, dude, you're like forty percent right now. We know it's not going to get worse, but just sit for the extra ten days, and you're going to feel like eighty percent when you come back. And that's what they should have done. And now they're in the same boat with the same similar injury with Chuma, where it's going to be another pain tolerance thing. So who knows? All right. Um, this one's from loyal listener Derek. He says, "Will Gaze ever?" I like that tag. We got loyal listeners now. Yeah, Derek. I like that. Derek is always in the chat and on Twitter. So, loyal listener Derek, will Gaze ever implement a running back by committee approach? Frank Gore hasn't rested since the First World War. Also, <laughs> R.I.P. to the Balage experiment. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, 
I don't know. Like, here's Gase's running back by rotation. Is he likes what he likes doing? Is he likes the very the first two possessions of the game, and it has been what the Jets have done. Is the first two possessions of the game are Frank when when Bell's out. I don't know how this is going to change when Le'Veon Bell gets back, but this is when uh, Bell was out. First two possessions of the game go to Frank Gore. Frank Gore gets the first two possessions. Uh, Kalen was the third down back. After those first two possessions of the game, it goes possession by possession by possession, which means it'll be P. Ryan, then Gore. P. Ryan, then Gore. P. Ryan, then Gore. P. Ryan, then Gore with Ballage doing third down and then that kind of a rotation with the first two possessions being Gores. I don't know why the first two possessions are Gores. I don't like. I don't agree with that rotation because you see Gore and you're like, the guy doesn't have it anymore like like i shouldn't say that like it's not that gore doesn't have it anymore he can still be very productive in training camp like i said he was their most productive back because you had bell you had bell gore would come in and give you four gore would come in gore is like better is that you run two possessions with one guy and then gore comes in for one possession it's two possessions someone else and then gore gets a possession what the jets in my opinion should be doing with gore he should be your short yardage back he should be maybe your first down back he should be the guy that you know after you get the the eight yard completion to someone you put him in there because he's probably going to get you four and a first he'll be that that short yardage uh occasionally maybe a first or a second down carry guy he should be your pass protection guy so if you know you need some like when the jets lost to him and they had Connor mcdermott out there and they were like we need to keep an extra body in here frank gore should be the extra body that's blocking he's the best blocking back the jets have the jets should then be featuring p ryan because they need the player and gase has said p ryan's the only player on the offense right now capable of taking any play and going for 60 or 70 in a touchdown. Like, he's the only guy with that ability. He should be the guy that's allowed to do that, and and he's just not. Like, that's not, for whatever reason, they're not using P. Ryan in that. I, I don't know why. I mean, that's what I, like, that's the rotation that Gase has. That's the rotation I would have, is that when Bell's not out there, P. Ryan should be more of a focal point than what he is. Gore, if you want to give Gore the first or second possession, fine, but then it should be the P. Ryan show with Gore doing pass pro, and Gore doing uh, short yarded situations. That's it. With Bell coming back, I don't. I don't know. Like I, I, I honestly, I don't. I, I don't know what this is gonna look like unless it's gonna be Bell one series, Gore one series, Bell one series, Gore one series, and then occasionally P Ryan checking in. I, I don't know. But it's this ain't no committee. This is like a running back discombobulated disaster, which I've used that term before. But that's really what it is. Like there's no rhyme or reason. And and the one the one thing I do want I do need to back off of a little bit and this is totally separate, is that I was ripping and destroying the Jets for running that wheel route to, to Frank Gore and throwing a pass to Frank Gore in a wheel route like it's 1947 again. I don't, I still don't agree with the wheel route to Frank Gore. That shouldn't have been there. But Sam has to see Chris Hogan wide open over the middle of the field with a defender five yards behind him. And basically you're getting the ball to Hogan on an in route and he's going to take off for another 10 and take you inside the five yard line, potentially score. Like if Gore can actually block out that guy who was running the wheel route on Chris Hogan might score. I mean, that was just Darnold threw a contested ball to Frank Gore on a wheel route instead of hitting the wide open wide receiver on an in who was literally wide open and, and kudos to Rich Samini for the, the, um, all 22 breakdown of that play. Cause I missed it. And then I saw his and then went back and watched it myself and was like, Holy cow. So that was like, again, I don't agree with calling a play with your 37 year old running back where he's ever running a wheel route. Because again, like I said, short right. yardage pass pro, but on that one, I can't fault the play enough. If the one of the guys is wide open and the quarterback just misses him. All right. The last couple questions we have are kind of more big picture for this organization as a whole. But before we get to this next one, just a, one comment 
from the chat and YouTube. Ryan McCarthy, props for this one. He said, win or lose, drink Pepsi with a lot of liquor in it and earn some cash by betting against the Jets in DraftKings. There you go. He sums it all up. We love our sponsors. I had a bad DraftKings week, man. <laughs> I had a bad. I went one and two. I, I'm not terrible. The issue was like my, okay, let's just make this back bets. So like I went one and two on my can't wait picks, which is fine because my record's still going to look sterling there. I went to But then I was like, just so you know. Yeah. Oh, you're catching up. Slowly. Then I was like, all right. Saw a Jets Thursday night game. I was like, I'm probably going to stay away from that one. I don't, I don't, again, like when you, I don't like betting the Jets, not for literally moral reasons. It's just that I cover the team. So I watch them every single day. So you get an inflated opinion on, on the team that you cover. It's the same reason, like, I don't generally draft Jets in fantasy football because you see them every single day in training camp and you think, wow, they're going to be really good. And then you realize, no, the defense just sucks. And that's why the player looks really good. Now they're playing actual defenses are gone. But I got screwed. I actually did hit, I got some money back. Uh, hitting on the in-game uh, line, Kansas City Chiefs. It dropped Chiefs Patriots last night. Dropped down to eight, and it was when it was like six to three was the score. I was like, they're gonna break this one open in the second half, and so I, I took that in-game money line. I hit that one, but I lost it on thinking the Falcons. I saw an injury depleted Packers team. I took the Packers money, or I took the Falcons wow. money line and the Falcons spread, and went doubled down. So it was a it was a losing week at the Hughes uh, Hughes betting household. <laughs> Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, from August West, is Chris Johnson aware that all the Wilpon hate is heading his way? <laughs> I Chris, no, Chris Johnson's aware of it now. Right. Like he's he's very aware that this fan base wants his head. He's very aware that this fan base is angry. He's very aware that this fan base is he aware is that the Mets fan base hate for the owner is now? There, like, I don't know. All that I, extra I think... energy is coming. The I'll be honest. I, I take a gander through. Like I said, I, I every now and then I'll, I'll open up the actual because I have mentions off of my tweet deck, but I'll go and I'll look at my notifications on the actual Twitter website. And I'll see my mentions. I can't imagine it getting any worse for them. Like I can't imagine it getting any. Uh, I, I can't imagine it getting worse for the Jets. Like and I like I don't I don't think any like there. It is so toxic right now that. There's nothing that no met. It's just, it ain't gonna make it worse. It can't get worse. Like it's just all that stuff. But Christopher Johnson's approach of the whole thing is is that just his his thought of it is like they're angry now. They have every right to be angry now. This isn't working, and and he realizes that. But what he what he hopes is that like he's not gonna make any reactionary moves because that's what the fan fans are reactionary. That's why they're fans, and and it's not that's not a jab at fans. That's what fans are. Like when I was a kid watching football. I was the same way. Bench the quarterback, get a new head coach, fire the GM. Like you're when you're a kid watching football or older watching football or just a football fan. I mean, I'm my my all I grew up in South Jersey, so all of my friends are Eagle fans. And I am not an Eagle fan before everyone jumps on the board there, although I am marrying into an Eagles family. But all of my friends back home are always like, cut Carson Wentz now, fire Howie Roseman, fire Doug Peterson. And I'm like, those two guys just won a Super Bowl like three years ago. And like the first Super Bowl in Eagles history. Now you want them all fired? Like they just, like Howie just did it. And like now Howie's a bum and now Doug's a bum. And it's like, that's just, it's just the life of a fan. And I told it when you are so emotionally invested in a team, you can sometimes get emotional. 
What I think Christopher Johnson is doing a very good job at is removing that emotion from it and trying to make just football decisions. You know, keeping Adam Gase around right now because he, even though he realizes it's probably not the coach that's going to be on this team's head coach in 2021, probably not going to be the team's head coach that's going to, that's definitely not going to be the team's head coach that gets this team to a Super Bowl. It's the head coach that, that, can at least not create any more variables for Sam Darnold so we can at least end this season with an evaluation of Sam Darnold before we potentially draft another quarterback. And I think what he realizes is that, like, he'll take the hate now. He'll take the criticism now. He'll take people ragging on him. But he's so hell-bent in his belief that Joe Douglas is the guy and believes he can write this that in a year next year when when they get the right head coach in here and whether it's Sam or another quarterback and you get Joe Douglas another offseason with Joe Douglas, they can take that next step forward and they can be the – the, the good, you know, they can start winning games. When they start winning games, everyone will change. And suddenly it'll go from fire Christopher Johnson, get rid of sell the team, blah, 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 to maybe the Jets are doing something right here. Do we have one more, Marissa? Um, We have a few. They're a little. You can go rapid fire. You can go rapid fire on the quick ones. I just tweeted out if anyone has any last second questions, throw it in there. So I don't want to uh, immediately sign off and, and look like a liar. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this one from Isles Files. My question isn't even about the roster coaching staff or ownership. I used to be a diehard fan, but now I don't care anymore about this organization. I'll watch every game with zero expectations, no care, no emotional attachment. Are you seeing more fans sharing this view? Kind of like what we um, discussed, but. I think a lot of fans, you know, what's funny is like, so I went to school with Monmouth, right? Like go, go Hawks, go Monmouth mm-hmm. Hawks. Um, two of my best friends that I met in school are jet fans. Cause I didn't grow up. Like I said, grow up in South Jersey. There were, it's like a giant fan base, some Cowboys and Eagles. Um, then when I went to Monmouth was like the first time I was introduced like to more of the New York markets. They were jet fans. So like two of my best friends, um, one of my groomsmen is a, is a jets fan. He's Andrew Galecki, big jets fan. My cousin. Uh, Joe Lacalant. Yes. Yeah. Shit. I keep forgetting that. Yeah. Yeah. Marissa's <laughs> cousin, which was like, we weren't doing these live Second broadcasts, cousin. but I, <laughs> yeah, I wish I wish we were around. Like I wish we were doing these live broadcasts when I, when Marissa when Hashtag I found out. Jersey. Like, yeah, one of my groomsmen is is literally related to Marissa, and we had no idea. And I texted him was like, uh, "You know Marissa Morris?" He goes, "Yeah, she's my cousin." I was like, "She's my <laughs> podcast producer." Um, but no, like Andrew Lucky and, and Joe Lacalandre is another one of my great buddies. Um, they're both Jet fans, and I think Andrew is like separating himself. Like he's like, "This is just brutal. I can't do this anymore." And Joe is the one who's still like hurting. Like he's still the guy that's like he's he's taken the beating, he's taken the punishment, and he him and his whole family, his brothers too, are like the diehard diehard Jet fans. And I feel for them, man, because like, look, I like I don't have any emotional connection to this team, so it's it's like when they lose, it's like man, it's just it's getting it's getting a lot to cover a consistent losing team. I mean, the only time I covered this team when they were some semblance of good was like that 2015 season, and I was still in college, so I was a half beat writer. And that was like really fun covering a run. But since then, it's just been losing after losing after losing. And it beats me down. And then I look at this guy who's like emotionally attached to this franchise. And it's like, it's depressing. Like it's like depressing for him. And it's, I don't know how, I, I give this guy credit for for being able to separate the emotions to it. Because I have friends that I haven't been able to do it. And it's just like week in and week out, just getting pummeled. Just getting, just getting beaten to the ground. And the only the only thought is like you know it's it's all what do they say it's darkest it's darkest before dawn is like the old Batman quote is like darkest before dawn so it's like maybe uh maybe the the positivity is around the horizon maybe Who I knows? like it or not half, or, half or, or more fall. or more turmoil half yeah I'm fall. sure Browns fans have been saying that <laughs> uh, hey they're they're three and one yeah this is the year the, the dawn has arrived in uh, in yes. Cleveland uh, from this is the last one Connor from say my nameth. 
like that name. Which is uh, a great Twitter I, name. Dude, we got some good. Yeah, this this is Twitter. Great them on Twitter the chat name. too. I haven't logged. Yeah, we're getting both. But that one's from that's that good. one's from Twitter. That, yeah. that, that was AIM handle yeah. too. He's back in the day. Or yeah. a fantasy name. Yeah. Yeah. Probably is his fantasy name. Uh, Mims and Bell yes. should be back, if I'm not mistaken. If they aren't, take the week off. So just give us an update on Mims and Bell. <laughs> uh, Bell should be back. I think that's the expectation for Bell is that Bell will be back. He had the hamstring injury. He's been gone for three weeks, hasn't really done too much. I don't know how much the Jets are going to work him uh, in terms of, like, he's back, here's 30 touches. Like, I don't know if that's the case because, again, you don't want to overwork, overwork a guy with a hamstring injury and then tweak it again and make it make it 10 times worse. So I don't know what kind of workload he'll have, but I would expect him to be back. Mims is also eligible to return. I'd expect him to come off. Uh, Vincent Smith is eligible to return. I expect Vincent Smith to come back. The one concern that I would have with Mims, and this is something that, that I've, I've talked about ad nauseum, is that this guy is a rookie. He's playing a position that takes a lot of time to learn and a lot of time to develop. Like it's, it's not just like a, Oh, I'm a rookie receiver. Let's just, there's no acclimation. Like there are a lot of times when rookie wide receivers take a year, two years to develop. And before you really start seeing their stride, there are DK Metcalfs, but for every DK Metcalf, there's a JJ Arcega white side. Like there's a lot of the, the both sides of uh, Mario Manningham with the Giants, same thing struggled rookie year before catching on before injuries derailed his career. Like there's a lot of those, don't get it right away. Then they learn. Then they they learn the they learn how to read coverages. They they get better. They don't just get by with their athleticism. Mims not only is in a, a complicated offense. Uh, he didn't have the luxury of OTAs. He didn't have the luxuries of minicamp. He did not have the luxuries of training camp. So when he returns to practice, conceivably on Wednesday, maybe Thursday, if he's a full participant, that will be the first time he's really running routes against an NFL defensive back, and it'll be the Jets scout team because he went down against air when he hurt his hamstring the second time. He went down against air when he hurt his hamstring the first time. So he has not even run routes against NFL defensive backs to feel what NFL press coverage feels like or feel what NFL uh, coverage where they redirect you off the line feels like. He hasn't felt any of that yet. So I think that the notion that Denzel Mims is going to come off the IR, take over as a starting receiver, and just explode in his first two weeks, I don't think that's going to happen just because he hasn't had that pra those practices to really make him, like feel himself out. I think it's probably going to be about a month before you really start to see Denzel Mims get going because he's going to need these practices. He's going to need to be eased in so you don't tweak the hamstring again. He's going to need this time to, to really acclimate himself before he explodes. So I think Bell will be more used early on and Mims will probably have like that Debo Samuel role where you check him in for certain plays, you use him for certain plays, you ease him in before he starts to take over more and more as the season goes on. All right, great stuff. Great questions all around, both on YouTube and also on Twitter. Thanks for uh, participating in this mailbag edition of the Can't Wait podcast. We'll be back later in the week, uh, probably recording Thursday, maybe dropping it Friday morning to get you ready for the next game, the next chance to get off the schneid for this New York Jets team and get a win. Um, if you need a subscription to The Athletic or know someone else who does, go to theathletic.com slash the Can't Wait podcast. You can join right now for just $1 a month. Great deal right now we're running at The Athletic. That's ongoing. Uh, if you couldn't get a question in because you don't follow Connor on Twitter, well, why not? Follow me at Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. And I got Marissa's wrong last time, I think. It's Marissa underscore Morris. Thanks for tuning into this edition of the Can't Wait Podcast. Have a great day, everyone.